Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go. We have really bought into that being a platform that is supporting restaurant brands, the restaurant industry, and not being a player that gets in between restaurant brands and their customers. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. I'm starting a new case study group this month and I'm looking for a few specific people. So if you're a restaurant owner or operator that's currently doing $50,000 per month in sales, have the desire and the bandwidth to increase your sales by 10 to 20% and have two to three hours per week to work on these strategies, I would love to help you scale up by Christmas. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com and sign up to learn more. Again, that's restaurantcasestudy.com. Today, Olo is a billion-dollar company with a captive audience of restaurateurs excited about the future of restaurant tech. But the story of Olo and its founder, Noah Glass, is far from an overnight success. Noah has spent the last 16 years evangelizing the merits of restaurant tech to an industry unwilling to change. But he never lost hope and he never gave up. And I can only imagine that a man with that kind of vision and fortitude must have a clear vision of what's coming next for all of us. Today, we talk about the future of restaurants and restaurant tech. I felt so lucky to have the opportunity to actually see what was happening in .com 1.0. Of course, nobody called it 1.0 back then, but to see what was happening in Silicon Valley and to see startup tech scene in full form. It just felt like an incredible time, like companies were getting birthed and were becoming billion dollar overnight successes. And I really wanted to see about it. And so I had a chance to work at Shutterfly that summer. It was still a really small team, but with great ambitions. And I think the thing that I took away from it most was here's a new consumer technology shift. In that case, digital cameras replacing analog cameras and specific to Shutterfly, digital photo printing versus the way that people used to print analog film by taking it to a processor and having that done over a period of days. And a business that's coming out of this that is going to revolutionize the way that consumers have this time immemorial kind of retail experience of going into the photo store. I just thought that was so cool that a development in consumer technology could have that sort of a ripple effect over an entire industry. And now when I look back, that was a seedling that led to the insight that ultimately became Olo was thinking, all right, we're going to be around for smartphones coming into ubiquity, consumers adopting smartphones en masse, 
And when they do, and when people have these location-aware, always-on supercomputers, effectively, in their pocket, it's going to change everything. It's not just going to change communications. It's not just going to change content. It will fundamentally change commerce. And I came to really believe that years later in 2003 and wanted to find that perfect opportunity that was going to, like to digital cameras, take advantage of the shift to smartphones. And having grown up in the restaurant industry, working in a formative job as a 17-year-old, a year before my Shutterfly experience as a pizza delivery driver, I knew the industry of restaurants. I knew the operator experience. I knew the consumer experience. And I knew that a digital version of that could make it better on both sides. And it was that understanding that I could make the operator's job easier, better, more profitable, and also make for a better consumer experience that made me think, this is the right idea. And this is the right place to take this momentum of the shift in technology that consumers are using and turn it into a business that will change the industry. But after that experience, you didn't immediately take the entrepreneurial leap. You began working with Endeavor Global in South America. I bet that was a really interesting experience because you're facilitating the entrepreneurial journey of other people. Is that what gave you the courage to go out on your own? In part, yes. So I was working with Endeavor and Endeavor was in South America exclusively when I joined. And there was a great opportunity to take the model that had worked so well in really helping grow and scale entrepreneurial companies and entrepreneurs in Latin America and then apply it to a new emerging market region, which was sub-Saharan Africa. And I put my hand up for that. I wanted to be involved with the expansion. I got to work very closely with the Endeavor co-founder and CEO, Linda Rodenberg, on launching the office in Johannesburg, South Africa. And shortly after deciding on Johannesburg, South Africa, Linda and her husband, Bruce, became pregnant with twins. And Linda said, why don't you be the person who sticks around and launches the office here with help from Dr. Chris Howard, who is somebody who came in and locked arms with me to launch the office in Johannesburg. And that was an incredible experience because I didn't just stay for the launch. I stayed through the first selection cycle, as Endeavor calls it, where they look at a crop of entrepreneurs, in this case, 161 different entrepreneurs, and then take them through the selection process down to pick that first class of Endeavor entrepreneurs. And at the end, we picked six entrepreneurs. And it was so inspiring to me to meet all 161 but particularly those six. And one in particular was doing smartphone software, what we would now call apps, developing apps. And I saw in that capability set of building apps for smartphones, the potential to realize the vision that I had when I first started thinking about Olo in 2003. So that was really in 2004 that I saw that opportunity and was so inspired by these entrepreneurs. I was supposed to start at Harvard Business School the next fall, and I had the opportunity to postpone heading to Harvard Business School, and ultimately I withdrew my admission to Harvard Business School when I'd put together a prototype of Olo with a couple of engineers that I met in Johannesburg and showed it to one of the founding board members of Endeavor South Africa, David Frankel, who said, look, if you have enough conviction in this that you're willing to quit your job at Endeavor and tell Harvard Business School that you're not coming. 
you're going to make this the only path forward. You've basically burnt all the bridges. You've burnt the ships behind you. Then I'll give you half a million dollars to get you started. And it was just a knee-jerk reaction for me. I knew in my soul that this was the right time for the idea, and it was the right time in my life to pursue it. I felt with conviction there's going to be one time in human history when you have the adoption of smartphones en masse. You get to that ubiquity, and I want to be there for that. I don't want to be in business school wishing that I had taken the leap of faith into starting a company capitalizing on this moment in time. Well, it might have been the right time in your life, but I mean, this has been a 16-year journey for you. So it's not like it was an overnight success, not to say that you haven't gained traction along the way, but I mean, the diligence that it takes, I mean, there are a lot of parallels there to being a restaurateur, right? Seeing something that isn't there as a restaurateur. Typically, the restaurant that you open was a restaurant before you took it over. So it's seeing an alternative future and then investing everything you have in that. What was the goal for Olo from like an ideological standpoint when you first started? And how has that evolved over the last 16 years? Well, I will say the goal was never to become a public company. And the goal was never to do this for 16 years or longer than 16 years. The goal was, let's start something in that Silicon Valley startup 1.0. And maybe in four years, somebody will acquire it. Or maybe in four years, it won't work. And then I'll move on and I'll go to business school or I'll do something else with my life. But I never thought it would take as long as it's taken. And I never thought that we would reach the level of impact that we've reached over a longer time horizon. I really thought that we would introduce this technology to restaurants and that they would be enamored with it, that they'd want to put it into their operation, that it would be something that made them better, made their customers happier. And I didn't really think much about what that would mean for me, aside from it'll either be successful or it won't be successful. And I didn't think this was going to become my career. It absolutely is, 16 years later, what I've spent the vast majority of my career doing. And I'll tell you, Josh, it is the thing that I want to spend the rest of my career doing. And I say to my team at Olo, I want to be here for the rest of my life. And my secret goal is to get everybody in the company to feel that way, because I think that we have a huge impact to have here, both doing well as a company, doing well by our shareholders, but almost more importantly, doing good as we do well, helping this industry that is such an essential service industry and helping make the world a better place in the process. And we really felt that in 2020. It was a year where that deeper mission really came out. We had restaurants at the end of the year saying, we wouldn't have made it through this year if we didn't have the tools that your company provides us with. If our customers couldn't have placed orders through digital, they just wouldn't have been doing business with us. We would have had to shut down. We would have had to lay off our team. We were able to keep serving our community. We we're able to keep employing people because Olo exists. We've never felt more mission critical than we did in 2020. I'm happy to say that that's continued. I wish that the restaurant industry were in a place where it was just smooth sailing all around. It feels like now we have another challenge of the, the labor challenge. And again, it feels like restaurants are leaning into the Olo relationship to help them augment what their limited team can do and be a force multiplier and help out with the labor struggles that they're facing. I want to explore something you just said. 
you were talking about getting your staff, rallying your team around your vision and you want everyone to be in the company long term. And what you're essentially talking about is leadership. You started the company as a young man. 16 years later, I'm curious to know, how has your leadership style changed? And how has it evolved over time with age, with experience? I think that one of the things that I had to learn to do, and I can pin down when this was, this was about eight years ago. And really, there are two big chapters of Olo. There's the first eight years and the second eight years, and perhaps we're in a third chapter now. But that point, eight years in, we were still a 12-person company, and we were profitable, and we were thrilled to be profitable. We'd made it through the really difficult times of 2008 and 2009 with our head held high, having a greater impact, knowing what we were and what we were meant to do, but as a very small team, as a 12-person team. And I remember just having this sense of, wait a minute, we finally have hit product market fit. Now the market really understands, you know, th things had happened in the time since the founding up until that moment. The iPhone was announced, Android was announced, smartphones became ubiquitous, consumers started to use services like Uber and got that, oh, this is like a remote control for buying things in the world around me. This is this magical device. I can do more with it than just make phone calls or play games. And so everything was ripe and restaurants were understanding that this was going to have a big impact on their business. And yet we were this 12-person team. We couldn't meet all of the demand that was out there. And I remember I was sitting next to one of my investors. Actually, it was David Frankel, who I mentioned earlier. And we were listening to a venture capitalist in New York City, Fred Wilson, speak about product market fit and when companies hit this inflection point when there's product market fit. And I just kept elbowing David hard in the ribcage and saying, that's it. That's where we are right now. We need to scale. We need to scale. And Scaling is easier said than done. We were a 12 person company with all this demand. We are today close to, if not quite, at a 600 person company. So we have scaled since that time over the past eight years 50x from where we were. And that would have been a really scary thing to do had I not had a great partner in doing it with me. And that partner was Olo employee number 13, Matt Tucker, who is our president and COO someone who I'd come to know through the venture capital community in New York City who had been an operator for many years and many companies and helped to take companies from where we were, 10 to 20 employees up to hundreds of employees and put all the systems in place and more fundamentally kept culture intact. And that was the thing that I tasked him with. I said, Matt, how can we scale up but not lose what's made this place special for the past eight years. It's kept these 12 people together despite really challenging times in 2008 and 2009 and having a hard time sometimes seeing the progress, having to celebrate the small wins. Matt had us sit down and crowdsource our values and the things that made Olo special in our view. And then he said, okay, now I have the blueprint and I'm going to help to scale the organization to map on to this blueprint. And to his credit, we have scaled 50X in that time. I still have one-on-one -on -one phone calls with every new Olo employee, one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls these days. And I feel like I'm meeting an Olo person every time. They map so well and so authentically onto those values. But over time, I've had to, as we've scaled, 
give up certain things that I was responsible for. And I remember Matt giving me that feedback kindly as is his way and saying like, hey, you need to let me do some things for you. Like you're doing a lot of things. You've just done that out of necessity up until now. I can do things. Our new head of sales can do things. Our new head of customer success can do things. You can take things off of your plate and focus on doing the things that remain better if you trust others to do these things with their expertise and with their experience over a career in doing those things excellently. And that was super helpful advice and has led us to be able to scale in the way that we have over the past years and to have great results on the customer side, on the impact side at the same time. I want to talk about the evolution of the software. And this is kind of a tricky conversation to have based on your existing relationships. But I think it's a valid question. And I think we can tackle it in a way that's respectful to all parties. Over the last two decades, you've seen software come out in support of restaurants that on the surface seem to be an infrastructural solution to like a common issue that restaurants face, but over time evolved into a marketplace. And you've resisted the temptation to do the same thing, even though, candidly, it seems pretty lucrative. And I'm wondering how you were able to resist that temptation and what the benefits of resisting that temptation are. So in the earliest days, we launched as a B2C marketplace ourselves. And we kind of did that out of necessity because in order to use Olo, which was at the time called Mobo in 2005, smartphones really weren't around. iPhone wasn't even announced until 2007, January. So this was still years before iPhone, years before smartphone ubiquity. We had to build a text message ordering version of mobile ordering. And that's what we did through Mobo. But Mobo itself was a marketplace. You had to sign on at gomobo.com. You had to register your phone. You had to register your credit card back to your account. And then you'd create your favorite orders from the restaurants that you wanted to go to, all listed in marketplace format on the gomobo.com site. And then you could text a number that corresponded with the order that you wanted to order customized as you'd customized it. And it would bill your credit card and you could go pick up your order and quote unquote, skip the line, which has become our registered trademark. So we started out as a marketplace. And we did that so that consumers wouldn't have to sign up for the same service at each restaurant that they went to. But we did it really because of the technology limitation. And when things got really difficult in 2008 and 2009, we were trying to justify how much we were spending on customer acquisition and comparing it to customer lifetime value. And we just could not make the numbers work in a way that we felt good about, except for one part of the country that we weren't even really active in as a marketplace, and that was Dallas, Texas. And the story behind why Dallas, Texas was a profitable market for us was a restaurant brand called Muya Burgers and Fries. Muya had seen some of the national press that we'd received for the innovative text message ordering solution. It was on Good Morning America, September 21st, 2006. I'll always remember that date. And they said, hey, we understand that your marketplace isn't active in Dallas, but we think the technology is cool. And would you be open to letting us use your technology from our own website? So somebody would come to our website, click off to order ahead online or set up text message ordering with gomobo.com. We just want to give that a shot. We think it could make us a little bit cooler in the better burger wars that were raging at the time. And because we weren't as 
Mobo spending anything to acquire those customers. It was Muya that was doing it. Every order that was placed was positive customer lifetime value and a profitable customer. And so we then saw that model of what if we became a tool set for restaurants where our brand receded into the background and their brand was front and center. And it was incumbent upon them to get their customers to utilize the platform. And we could do this in this newfangled software as a service SaaS model where the restaurant brand is paying us a flat fee per month per store. And instead of us having to worry about utilization, they're the ones worrying about utilization. It'll be better for the consumers hearing about it through the brands that they already love and seeing it as a way to have an even better experience at those restaurants. And so that became something that we really rallied around to become a SaaS platform and to do all the things that restaurant brands were asking us to do, integrate to their point of sale, integrate into their payment platform, put their branding on top instead of our branding, et cetera, et cetera. And we have really bought into that, being a platform that is supporting restaurant brands, the restaurant industry, and not being a player that gets in between restaurant brands and their customers. And that has been true to Olo's DNA ever since, and a really important part of how we see our role in the market being restaurants first. And we do see there are a lot of players out there that have a different approach. And to the extent that our restaurants want to engage with them, we have a great tool called Rails that enables them to take their menu content, their pricing content, and syndicate it out to DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, all of the other restaurant delivery marketplaces so that they can reach new consumers who, for whatever reason, prefer to order from those marketplaces. And there are a lot of valid reasons why consumers choose to order through marketplaces. We just want to help restaurants really separate the wheat from the chaff of knowing which orders are my own customers and which orders through the marketplaces are truly incremental orders. And hopefully I'll be able to convince those customers that there are merits in ordering direct from me in the future. I'm sure you eat out. And I think we've both experienced a giant leap forward in tech utilization over the last 18 months. But personally, I'm beginning to see backslide. There are QR codes on tables, but there are paper menus sitting right next to them. Restaurants still are using kiosks, but now they're standing alongside cashiers. Is that a point of concern for you to start? And then the secondary question is, should that be a point of concern for the industry at large that there is this backslide? Well, I think that there are a lot of things that restaurants are doing out of necessity in this moment. And this moment is really about the labor shortage that restaurants are experiencing. And how do you give the restaurant an opportunity to get orders into the kitchen in an efficient way and give the consumer a good customer experience? I think kiosk is an answer. I think QR codes and ordering through a QR code specifically are an answer. I'm not so into having the QR code just show you the menu and then still needing to wait for somebody to come over and take your order. I like being able to use a QR code to then get into a transactional version of the menu, an online ordering menu to place the order. I think if done right, I'll tell you, you know, Bluestone Lane Cafe here in New York City, they came into COVID with 5% of their mix being digital. And they then really embraced the QR code ordering as the prime way of ordering when you're getting a full service experience at the cafe, and they are now 95% digital. It's been a profound shift for them and their entire business. 
I think that that's because of their commitment. It's because of how they have done it in a really elegant way. And it, as a customer of theirs, makes for a better customer experience and makes for a better operation and makes their kitchen more efficient and means that there's fewer kind of labor dollars intermediating an order from the consumer's desire into an order produced by the kitchen. I think that's a positive thing. Again, on, on both sides, it passes that original test of adding value for the customer and adding value for the operator. I think that's fundamental. Do you see virtual only restaurants as a good thing for the independent restaurateur? And if so, how? So I do think that that is a trend that will stand the test of time, virtual restaurants. I reflect back, I was in 2014 asked to speak at Web Summit, which is a big Web Summit, as the name suggests, uh, in Europe. And this one was in Dublin. And I was speaking in the food forum or the food summit. And the question that I was asked was, what will the restaurant of the future look like? And I guess at the time, it, it felt maybe to some like it was a provocative response, but the title of my presentation was, the restaurant of the future will be a kitchen with a pickup window. And it really sort of foretold what is now the ghost kitchen and virtual brands that are, I think, a complementary trend along with ghost kitchens. I think when you have such a high percentage of overall transaction volume in the industry taking place off-premise, consumers who are getting the order and not eating it inside the four walls. We're now at 76% per the NPD data from Q2. And a significant portion of that, 8% of the total is delivery. And 6% of the total, so 75% of that delivery piece is digitally ordered delivery. You know, in an industry that is 60 billion transactions 6% of 60 billion transactions is 3.6 billion transactions on an annual basis that are being ordered for delivery through the digital channel. And so that creates a pretty big slice of the pie for virtual brands to pull from. And ghost kitchens are a pretty nice way from an economics perspective of having the production capacity to serve that demand. And your question was about restaurateurs. I think it's another option for restaurateurs. Some might say, look, I really care. I like what you just said about the experience versus the transaction. I really care about the in-restaurant experience. That is where I'm going to shine. This doesn't hold any appeal to me. But I think many will say, the thing that makes me the best is the food and the way the food tastes. And I'm going to strip experience out of it and I'm going to win on the food. And if I can do that, in an efficient way, if I can do that through a virtual brand out of a ghost kitchen, I'm all in. And I think when you survey customers and say, you know, what do you care most about, specifically those delivery customers, digital delivery customers, they say, food is the most important thing to me. I'm choosing to order. If I wanted the experience, I would go to a restaurant. But it's amazing that 3.6 billion times a year, someone says, I'm hungry. I don't want to cook. I'm going to order through my device and get it delivered to me. And that's a big opportunity set for anybody that wants to serve that need. You're deep into restaurant tech. And I'm curious to know if you were to open your own restaurant today, based on the data that you've got access to, what tier of dining would you choose? And what would your tech stack look like? Wow. I am so unprepared for this question. <laughs> but it makes Let's sense, see. right? I mean, you are exposed to 
what, tens of thousands of restaurant concepts, right? And you're looking at sales data and you know what the tech stacks look like. So if you were to do it for yourself, I mean, you probably look at the data and say, you know what, I'm happy where I am. But (laughs) (laughs) if you were, I'm curious to know, based on the data, do you have any insights to share? Well, a lot of insights. You can imagine we come into this year having processed over a billion orders and 500 million of those just last year. We see a lot and we see a lot of trends about what people like to eat, where they like to eat, etc. There's a lot of really interesting insight that we can glean from the data. I don't know that it makes me want to rush into launching a new restaurant concept <laughs> to your point. If I did that, it would probably be out of passion and less out of some data-informed master plan. But I do see brands having a lot of success in underserved segments of the market, both in food type and in day part. And that's been really interesting to see. So it's been interesting for me to see things like years ago when Denny's launched Denny's On Demand. It was out of this really great insight they had of, hey, our kitchens are open late. Our kitchens are open late night and customers want food beyond just pizza delivered to them. And now that there is a platform called Olo Dispatch that enables us to not have to go and hire our own delivery fleet, but tap into all of these fleets of restaurant delivery providers that can pick up the order just in time and deliver it out to the customer. We can meet that need without really doing anything new. That launched a very successful Denny's on-demand platform for them, which has grown and grown ever since. So I think finding those gaps in the market is super interesting. I've also just been fascinated to watch success stories like Mr. Beast Burger, which is a virtual brand that was launched by Mr. Beast, a YouTube star, whom I did not know before we started talking about being the platform for Mr. Beast Burger. And like Denny's, we just had no expectation. There was no spreadsheet that showed, and and here's how this is going to do, because we just didn't know. So it was all upside We were thrilled when Mr. Beast Burger launched. It launched in 200 restaurants across the country, basically overnight. These were host kitchens, other restaurants that were serving their food. And it reached number one on the iTunes app store, not for food and beverage. It was number one across the app store. It supplanted YouTube, which is the original place where Mr. Beast became famous as the number one app in the app store. And within, I believe, just a matter of weeks, maybe one month, they had sold their millionth burger. I mean, that was an incredible thing to see. And when you think about that and your question about the opportunity for restaurateurs and entrepreneurs in the restaurant space, think about how long it used to take to have 200 kitchens cooking your food and serving customers. I mean, that used to take decades. The fact that you could do it overnight now made me think, you know, this is really powerful in taking a mental availability where consumers know about you and they want your thing and putting that together with physical availability of I can produce it and get it to you at a high quality with this highly perishable product. I mean, that is a revolutionary moment in this industry. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests the opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement for the restaurant owners and operators listening today? I do. This is going to pick up on some news of ours from last week, which is that Olo made its first ever acquisition of a company called Wisely. 
And Wisely is a customer intelligence and engagement platform very aligned with Olo. But fundamentally, what Wisely enables restaurant brands to do is to pull together all of the siloed data about customers into one customer data platform and for the first time understand what their customer lifetime value is. And that is a term that restaurants are going to hear more and more of over time. If they don't already know it, it is a term that they should know. It's a term that really comes out of the e-commerce realm that I'm most familiar with, but is going to be front and center and on every restaurant marketer's lips from this point forward, I believe. Customer lifetime value is really a North Star metric, and it's what tells you, obviously, who your most valuable customers are, but it also aligns that to different operational decisions. What menu items should you prioritize in your menu mix? What servers are tied to the highest customer lifetime value customers? They should be getting the best shifts. What sites are you going to select as you expand your footprint and launch new locations? They should be tied to sites that are going to be correlated with high customer lifetime value customers. So I'm incredibly excited for restaurants to hear that term and to start to answer the question, what is your customer lifetime value? Because I think that is the key to unlocking so much intelligence that all flows out of this great digital transformation that the industry is going through. And in a way, it's sort of the punchline to the joke. So customers are going to be ordering through digital, so what? Well, the so what is, and that will mean that you have all of this data that you've never had before that will help you run your business better fundamentally. And I think that's a really exciting moment. And we're thrilled to have in Wisely a company that shares all of those values that have been so important to Olo of being restaurant first of helping restaurants navigate through difficult times as they did and we did in 2020 and beyond. And we couldn't be more thrilled to have Mike Vicic and Tyler Falouse and Josh Stern and the entire Wisely team coming over to Olo. Expect that transaction to close this quarter in Q4 and to be one team going forward and having an even larger impact on the industry that we all love. That's Noah Glass. For more on Olo, visit olo.com. If you want to tell us your story or refer someone to be a guest on the show, email us at booking at fullcomp.media. To hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel, and you've been listening to Full Comp.